0: All right. Good morning. Good morning. I know uh, some of you guys know I've been getting healing for a bulging disc in my neck and it is getting better every day. So thank you for for prayers. Um, I'm doing therapy as well and it's all working. So don't give up. Uh, I'm not completely out of the woods, but um, I'm getting there. And so hopefully when I come back from vacation, I'll be ready to play guitar, and do all that fun stuff. So, um, but we're glad everybody's here today. We want to welcome all you guys who are guests today. Uh, you've landed right in the middle of a series that we're doing um, as a church. This year, um, we felt very strongly that we needed to focus on uh, families, uh, strengthening families, healing families, marriages, um, us as a church family, we, we believe that God has really called us this year to drill down on these issues of building stronger families. And, and right now we're, um, we're in the middle of a series that I've been preaching on called Essential Keys to Resurrecting Your Marriage and Relationships. And I don't care who you are, if you're married, you've got problems. Yep. I don't care. I even, sweet Karen and Eric... The darling couple of our church that we just never seem to see any problems, they're a mess. (laughs) They're not. They're cool. But even they have problems. You have problems. I have problems. Sometimes those problems get so bad that we feel like our marriages aren't going to survive. Sometimes our relationships feel like they're not going to survive. But we know deep down that they have to survive. We know that our marriages are worth fighting for. We know that there are relationships that are worth fighting for. But if we don't have the keys to restore, to heal, and to repair those marriages, they will end up in the tank. They will end in divorce. And in our world, divorce is the easy way out. And we are fighting to change that culture yes. in our church, in our city, and in the state, yes. and in our nation, because our nation is a better nation when marriages are healthy. Amen. Amen. And so we are right in the middle of that series, and so I'm not going to update you on the last two weeks. We talked about repentance, though, and how absolutely essential. If you want to heal your marriage, if you want to resurrect your relationships, you must have repentance in that process. There is no way around it. There are so many crimes that we commit against each other that there is a moment where we have to say, when we look someone in the eyes and we say, I am sorry for what I have done or what I have not done. I, I am repenting. Will you please forgive me? And you have to look that person in the eyes and you have to have those words come out of your mouth. Whatever your crimes are, and you have them. We have to start with repentance. Otherwise, we're just going to make more empty promises. I promise not to be like that anymore. I'm going to do better. Don't worry. No, we've got to have a repentance that goes from our head to our heart and into our hands. It has to be lived out. And then once someone repents, then we have to move to the next stage which is forgiveness. Now, today I'm going to be sharing um, on this message of, of resurrecting our marriages. Um, I'm going to share a lot of information from an author by the name of June Blunt and her book, Biblical Counseling Keys. If you want to really dig deeper on some of this stuff, I, I encourage you to, to look her up and to uh, dive into some of her stuff. Um, but in 1944, Nazi Germany was occupying Holland. And there was an elderly watchmaker and his family who were actively involved in the Dutch underground by hiding uh, Jewish people in a secret room in their house. This was the Tinboom Boom family. How many of you are familiar with the Tinbooms. Booms? Well, this was the Tin Boon family, and they were courageously helping Jewish men and women and children escape Hitler's roll call of death. Now, sadly, one day, um, their secret was discovered. And the watchmaker is arrested, and soon after he was imprisoned, he dies. And then also, there was a daughter. Her name was Betsy. She's a very tender hearted girl. She was also captured and she was put into a Nazi uh, concentration camp and she dies at the hands of her cruel captors. And then there was the watchmaker's youngest daughter. Her name was Corey. Corey Tinboom. And so the question was is she going to live? And if so, will she be able to ever forgive? her captors, the ones who, who killed her father and then killed her sister. Is she going to be able to survive this, and is she going to be able to forgive? And while she's at this concentration camp named uh, Ravensbrück, she is surviving the ravages of this place. It's one of Hitler's most horrific death camps. And while she's there, she is sustained by God. And she lives out the truth of Psalm 27, verse 12. It says, For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Amen. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart. Wait for the Lord. Now, none of us have ever suffered the torture of a Nazi concentration camp. None of us have gone through that level of pain and suffering, but we all have suffered harm. Whether it's physical or it's emotional or it's mental, we have suffered some kind of abuse from someone. And more than likely, it was from someone that you loved. So the essential key to resurrect our marriages and our relationships that I want to talk about today is forgiveness. Forgiveness is an essential key. It is a non-negotiable. It is a non-negotiable key to resurrecting your marriage and resurrecting a relationship. If we, as a people, if we do not practice the principle of forgiveness in our relationships, the effect is devastating. And though forgiveness is not always easy, it is required. So back to Corey Ten Boom. Two years after the war, Corey is now speaking in a church in Munich. She's come from Holland, and she's come into a defeated Germany, and she's bringing with her this message that God indeed forgives. And she's looking into the crowd, and she's sharing, and she, she's, as she's looking, she sees this face staring back at her. And after she's done, as the people file out, that person that was staring back at her that she locked eyes with, moves towards her. And as he moves towards her, Corey has a flashback in her mind. She has this flashback of being at the concentration camp. And she has this flashback of a man in a blue uniform. He's got a visored cap with a skull and crossbones on it. She she remembers this huge room with these harsh, Bright lights, and she remembers the humiliation of walking past him naked. This was the man that is now standing before her. And as he walks up to her, he says, You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. But since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. And he extends his hand towards her. Will you forgive me? Corey just stares at his hand. And the moment seems like hours as she's now wrestling with the most difficult question, the most difficult decision she will ever have to make. And it's hard because Corey knows the Bible. She knows it well. But in this moment, she is struggling with this verse. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. If we are going to practice the essential key of forgiveness, we've got to begin to understand what forgiveness really is. Imagine just for a moment that you need to borrow $100 to help pay a medical bill. You ask a friend for a loan, and you promise to pay it back at the end of the month. But when the time comes for repayment, you don't have the money. And in fact, you don't have the money for the next three months. Then all of a sudden, unexpectedly, out of the kindness of your friend's heart, your friend chooses to forgive your debt. Well, this is one facet of what forgiveness is all about. The Bible says in Romans 13, verse 8, it says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the debt to love one another. So what does forgiveness mean? I want to give you some definitions of really what forgiveness means. See, in the New Testament, forgiveness means dismissing a a debt. And, and when we see this word in the New Testament, it is this Greek noun, aphysis. And it, has the, it denotes this thing of a dismissal or a release. So when we grant forgiveness, we dismiss the debt that is owed to us. When we receive forgiveness, my debt then becomes dismissed. And I'm no longer required. I'm released from the requirement for any kind of repayment. And when we grant forgiveness, we dismiss the debt from our thoughts. We no longer think about what this person owes me. Jesus, in Luke 6, 27, he says, Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Forgiveness is also, it's dismissing your demand that others owe you something. Whether it's respect, love. We all have expectations we think people owe us. You owe me love, you owe me respect, you owe me hard work. But forgiveness is dismissing our demand that others owe us something, especially when they fail to meet our expectations, fail to keep a promise, or fail to treat us justly. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 5.39, He says, if someone strikes you On the right cheek, turn to him, the other also. Forgiveness is also dismissing, it's canceling, or it's setting someone free from the eternal consequences of falling short of God's standard. You know, the holy standard of God is perfection. Just say perfection. God's holy standard is perfection, and yet we all Have sinned. We've all come short of that. And so the penalty for our sins, the Bible says, is spiritual death. Separation from God. But thank goodness, the penalty for our sins, our debt, was paid by Jesus. It was paid by Christ through His death on the cross. So instead of being separated... We can actually we can have our debt dismissed by God and we can actually experience eternal life. Amen. Acts 10, 43 says everyone who believes in him, Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So when we think about forgiveness, we think about what it is, but we also have to think about what it is not. What forgiveness is not. See, sometimes we, I think we, we feel like uh, forgiveness is the equivalent of excusing sin. It's, it's somehow going through this, this mental gymnastic of saying that what was wrong is now Right. That's what an excuse is. But this is not the example of forgiveness that Jesus displayed. You see, when he encountered a mob of eager uh, men to stone a woman caught in adultery, he chose not to stone her. However, he never did excuse her. In fact, he says in John 8, 11, he says, go and sin no more to her. So to kind of help correct some confusion, we need to know what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not circumventing God's justice. It is allowing God to execute his justice in his time and in his way. Forgiveness is not waiting for time to heal all wounds. Who likes that one? Because it's clear time doesn't heal all wounds. Because some people don't allow healing to happen. Forgiveness is not letting the guilty off the hook. It's moving the guilty from my hook onto God's hook. See, forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. It takes two for reconciliation. But it only takes one for forgiveness. Forgiveness is not excusing unjust behavior. It's acknowledging that unjust behavior is without excuse while we still forgive. Forgive. Forgiveness is not explaining away the hurt. It's working through the hurt. Forgiveness is not based on what is fair. Because what was not fair for Jesus to hang on the cross. Right? Not fair for Him to have to go through that. But He did that so that we could be forgiven. Forgiveness is not being a weak martyr. I'm just a victim. Terrible things always happen to me. I'll just take it. No, it's being strong enough to be like Christ. Forgiveness is not stuffing your anger. It is resolving your anger by releasing the offense to God. Forgiveness is not a natural response, right? It's supernatural. It is a supernatural response that is empowered by God. Forgiveness is not denying the hurt. It is feeling the hurt and then releasing it. Forgiveness is not being a doormat. It is seeing that if if this were so, Jesus would have been the greatest doormat of all. Forgiveness is not conditional, it is unconditional, it is a mandate from God to everyone. And forgiveness is not forgetting, it is necessary to remember before you can forgive. And forgiveness is not a feeling, it is a choice, it is an act of our will. So that woman that was caught in adultery and those stone throwers were ready to kill her because the penalty for adultery was clear. You kill them. You stone them to death. Well, Jesus challenges the stone throwers. In fact, he asks them to now examine their own heart before they start to condemn the woman's behavior. And he says, you know, the one who is without sin, you be the first one to throw a stone at her. Of course, no one moved. And Then all of a sudden you hear the stones dropping and hitting the ground one by one. And then one by one, they walk away. And then after that, Jesus focuses his attention back onto the woman. And here's the beautiful thing of what Christ did. See, Christ looked beyond her fault. And he saw her need. She needed to know the life-changing love of God. And unexpectedly, Jesus gave her this precious gift in that moment. He gave her his merciful favor, his loving forgiveness. John eight eleven says, this is the words of Christ. I don't condemn you either. Go now and leave your life of sin. Sometimes I hear questions like, if I don't feel like forgiving, how can I be asked? To forgive. That doesn't seem right. Well, the answer is forgiveness is not based on a feeling, but rather on the fact that we all, all of us, are called by God to forgive. Because forgiveness is not an emotion. It is rather, it is this act of our will. Therefore, what seems right based on feelings can often be wrong. Proverbs 14, 12. Oops, we were already there, weren't we? There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. That's sometimes where feelings lead us. It seems right. It feels right. That I, don't, I don't feel like forgiving. So what does it mean to forgive someone? Well, imagine for a moment you're a runner in a race. Maybe it's the Olympics. You've got the right shoes, you've got the right clothes, the right shirt, you got everything. But something's very, very wrong. Locked around your ankle is this heavy black ball and chain. Now this weight is too heavy, there's no way you're going to run with this thing. You're not even going to qualify. And you think if only you could figure out a way to free yourself. Then the race day comes. It's the qualifying run. And you're actually told that you've got the key. actually possess the key to your own freedom. And so quickly you free yourself so you can run. And it's a real freedom. a A massive freedom. It's, it's like that black ball becomes this uh, helium balloon and its load is lifted and, and it's released and the weight is just sent away. Well, that black ball that's weighing us down is unforgiveness. And forgiveness is the key to getting free. See, when we forgive, we can run our race. We can live our life the way God intended us. We can be fulfilled in our destiny. We can cross our finish line with freedom. Hebrews 12:1 says, "Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So what else does forgiveness mean? Well, to forgive means to release our resentment. Say resentment. resentment. Forgive means to release our resentment toward our offender. See in the New Testament the Greek verb aphēmi It primarily means to send away. It means to forgive, to send away or release the penalty when someone wrongs us. So what this implies is that we need to release our right to hear, I'm sorry. It implies that we need to release our right to be bitter. To release our right to get even. In fact, Romans 12, 17 clearly tells us to not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. To forgive, it also means to release our rights regarding the offense. It means to release our right to dwell on the offense. You know, that thing you do when you're sitting alone, you're just meditating, you're just thinking about how I was wrong, what this person did to me, how they've wrecked my life. You give up your right to do that. You release your right to dwell on the offense. You release your right to hold on to the offense. You release your right to keep bringing up the offense. Remember when you did that thing to me? Remember that? I mean, I'd forgive you if you, but I mean that thing. You know. Proverbs 17 verse 9 says, He who covers an offense promotes love. Who's a love promoter? Who wants to be one? Who's awake? There we go. All right. Because we can get up and do it. We'll do the hokey pokey. Turn yourself about. To forgive is to reflect the character of Christ. Just as God is willing to forgive us, we are called to forgive others. And to forgive means we extend mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is that someone doesn't get what they deserve. Yeah, they wronged you. They deserve your 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 to chew them out. Let them know what they did. Maybe they deserve to not have a friendship with you anymore. Mercy says, I'm not gonna have let any of that touch you. Forgive means it's a gift of grace. To forgive sets the offender free. And we've got Matthew six twelve. forgive our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now another question I get sometimes is what can I do when I don't feel like forgiving? Well, the answer is whenever you don't feel like doing something you should do, you must examine your thoughts. You can't control what your offender does. can't. We wish we could. Sometimes we get psycho trying. (laughs) But we cannot control what they do. However, what we can control is what we think about our offenders. See, God gives us a lot of counsel about what we should sift out of our thinking. I mean, think about your Bible as a thought sifter. It's a tool that helps us sift the thoughts that should never, ever come into our thinking. Never enter into our mind. So we have to evaluate our thoughts about those who offend us, who hurt us, who do and say damaging things to us. Because remember, your thoughts, they produce feelings. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, do my thoughts naturally flow through the thought sifter of Philippians 4.8? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what do we do? We think about those things. This is our thought sifter. This passage of scripture. And so with this, we have to catch our thoughts before they pass through and we have to sift them out. And when we carefully choose what to dwell on, then our emotions start to line up. And you know what? You will actually have a moment Gradually, you will start to feel like forgiving that person. So back to Corey's story. <clears throat> She's got her enemy, the former Nazi soldier, standing in front of her. And his very presence stands for cruelty and the stench of the cremation at Ravensbrook. And as Corey stares at this rough hand that's stretched out and offered to her by her former captor, she knows in her head what she has to do. They all know what to do. She knows in her head what she has to do. She has to forgive. But her emotions are screaming in silent opposition. In fact, the very message that she's been sharing with the victims of Nazi brutality is now staring her right back in her face. And so Corey stands there and she is paralyzed as this battle rages between her head and her heart. In fact, Corey says this in her book. She says, And I stood there, I, whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. My sister Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow and terrible death simply for the asking? I mean, imagine her dilemma. She knows that those... She knows that the peop- when people forgive especially these who have survived the Nazi concentration camp. She knows that those who have forgiven their enemies have also been able to rebuild their lives, regardless of the physical horrors that they suffered. But she also knows that those who continue to nurse their bitterness remain imprisoned. Even though they're no longer in Hitler's horrid concentration camps, they are still prisoners within their own wounded souls. So Corey knows the cost of bitterness. And it's this very bitterness that she is right now battling. Because the Bible says in in Hebrews 12.15, it says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. So why should we get rid of unforgiveness? See, when we, forgive, when we refuse to forgive, our unforgiveness, it keeps us emotionally stuck both to the offense and the offender. Did you hear what I said? When we choose not to forgive, we stay stuck and attached to the offender and what they did. And a continual refusal to forgive digs a deeper hole in which we can try to... We, we dig this hole trying to hide our hardened heart. One of our favorite tactics is blaming others. We love to blame others to justify unforgiveness. And so many times, far too often, we become very comfortable, too comfortable in the unnatural habit of self-righteousness and self-pity, right? Pride. Our past hurts, even though we feel like they're buried, are still very much alive. And because they're not released in God's way, In some ways, we actually become like our offender. But we're blind to it. See, not forgiving our offender is actually an offense to God. I'll say that again since it hurt. Not forgiving our offender is actually an offense to God. And therefore, you know what that does? That makes us an offender to God. Because the Bible says to confess and renounce our sin. Proverbs 28, he who conceals his sins does not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So how can I forgive someone who has not even apologized or shown any kind of repentance? Well, the answer is forgiveness has nothing to do with repentance. Forgiveness is not based on what the offender does or deserves. It's rather, it's dependent upon the grace that we give to our offender. It's just like what we received from Jesus. See, a gift is something no one deserves. So the real question is, do I want to be Christ-like? See, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, his enemies neither apologized and they neither repented. And yet he extends his heart of forgiveness and he prays this. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Another question is, if I forgive those who offend me, I'll be an enabler. Why should offenders change if there's no consequence for their offensive behavior? Well, the answer is forgiveness is not enablement. See, if someone borrows money from you and later refuses to pay you, we still should forgive them. You have to release both the person as well as the offense to the Lord for our own sake so that we do not become bitter. Now, let me give you some wisdom, though. Wisdom says that we should never enter into another monetary relationship with that person. Right? Is that being mean? Is that I don't have enough grace and I don't have enough mercy? No, you gave grace, didn't you? You just gave them mercy by not making them repay and saying, I cancel my debt. You don't, it's gone. Wisdom says, though, we don't have to do monetary relationships. See, we have no responsibility. We have no obligation to give irresponsible people more opportunities to be irresponsible. See, enabling others means that we don't have boundaries. Enabling others means when we don't establish a boundary or or we don't have a consequence when others violate a boundary, then, then we are enabling them to continue in this bad behavior. There's no consequence. There's no boundary. See, enablement puts us in a position of being offended over and over. And enabling never helps someone to change. It never does. In fact, it it further ingrains their bad habits. However, you know, one consequence to your offenders is that they will not have the opportunity to use you again. That's just okay. You know, enablers are classic people pleasers. They don't know how to say no when they should say no. And here's the thing. If we say yes to our irresponsible people when we should say no, we're actually saying no to Christ. I mean, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 1.10, he says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I still trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant Christ. So what does a forgiving heart look like? Well, see, when the Spirit of Christ is rooted within us, He produces fruit that is consistent with the character of Christ. See, the moment we entrust our life to Jesus, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And He dwells in us for the rest of our life. You know, it's just like an orange tree. Orange trees produce oranges. Banana trees produce bananas. The Spirit of Christ produces the character of Christ. That's what Christianity is. You're a righteous tree now. And living in you is the Holy Spirit, and it's producing fruit that looks like Jesus. So the next time we get wronged, we have to allow the Holy Spirit the freedom to produce His fruit of forgiveness in our lives. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the stuff that should be out on your branches. That everyone can see. So Corey is staring at this hand that's outstretched. This man who is asking for her forgiveness. And how how can she find the strength to take the hand of someone who represents the evil regime that destroyed the two people she loved more than any? How can she forgive this guy? And as she's struggling, she, she realizes that she cannot. In fact, Corey says this. She says, His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even... As the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive. I tried to smile, and I struggled to raise my hand, and I could not. I felt nothing not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Oh, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart, sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healings hinge, but on Jesus. When He commands us to love our enemies, He gives us the love itself. Jesus would never tell us to love our enemies and do good to those who hate us without giving us the power to do it. And Corrie Ten Boom is living proof of this love until her death in 1983. In fact, Corrie wrote a book about her ordeal. It's called The Hiding Place. There's an actual movie that was made about this book in the 70s. And if you want to watch the movie, it's on Amazon Prime for free. If you're here today and there's someone you already know that you need to forgive or someones, it could be a list of them, I just want to ask you to stand up, to stand up right now there's someone that you know the Lord is dealing with your heart to forgive. Because I want to pray for us. I want to pray for us to have the power to forgive. Father, your word is absolutely clear that we have a command to forgive. Whether it's our spouse, a friend, a parent, children, maybe it's an ex-spouse. Maybe it's a friend who doesn't even, live isn't in our lives because we can't stand to be in relationship with them. God, we are asking right now that by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, that you would give us the power to forgive. To forgive those who have wrongly accused us. To forgive those who have wrongly done against us, Lord Jesus. I'm asking for grace and Healing help, God, to forgive our offenders. The crimes of our spouses that they've committed for years and years, God, we ask for the power to forgive those. We're asking, God, for that fruit to come in and out through our lives today, Lord Jesus. We're asking for the power of God to flow through us that we could forgive so that we may resurrect our marriages, that we can heal relationships, that we would not carry this bitterness with us anymore against mom, against dad, stepmom, stepdad, aunt, uncle, an old boss, an old teacher. I'm asking today, God, that you would heal us and you would help us to have the power to do what Corey did, to forgive. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you hear this prayer and that because the Holy Spirit lives in us, you are already at work, God, for us to forgive. I pray, God, that today we would go clean. We confess our sin of unforgiveness. I confess my sin of unforgiveness, Lord Jesus. Heal me, Lord Jesus, for my bitterness and for my resentment and my unforgiveness and for my offense. Heal me, Lord Jesus. Then renew a right spirit within me, God. I want to be like Christ. I want to be like you, Jesus. And By the power of the Holy Spirit, I receive your forgiveness for my sins of bitterness and resentment and offense. I receive that forgiveness, God, and I will issue it and extend it to those who have offended me. So, Lord, I seal this time today, God, in the name of Jesus. That we would go and live the gospel and not just hear it. That we would live the gospel, God. That we would live a lifestyle of forgiveness. That this wouldn't be something we just did for a week because that's what we preached about. But this would be a lifestyle that we do, God. So we thank you, Father, for sealing this word into our hearts today. We give you praise, God. We give you glory. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.